Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? I mean, at, <clears throat> at first blush, it's, 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 it sounds kind of threatening when you think about that. It's almost like God is, is calling us by our middle name, you know? We all have, uh, I guess we do, we all have three names. Your mama gives you your, your first name. Your last name, obviously, is your surname, your family name. But then they give you a middle name. What is that all about? The only reason that we have a middle name is to know when we're in trouble, right? When your mama uses all three names, you're in trouble. You don't ever use your middle name any other time unless you're filling out a document or some government thing or whatever. A middle name is only good for realizing that you're in big trouble. That's kind of what Galatians 6 sounds like here to me, at first blush anyway. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary sounding. I want us to unpack that a little bit this morning. But you know, in the beginning, when God created the universe, he created man, he placed him in a garden. He gave man a lot of responsibility. I mean, everything was under his stewardship. He even got to name the animals. How he came up with some of those names, I don't know. It's beyond me. But all of the garden was to be tended, to be taken care of by the man. And God gave him a helper to help him. You know, we all have responsibilities in life. And when we're doing well on those responsibilities, we feel good. We feel good about ourselves. Uh, I, I bought a new gas grill uh, last week. Uh, the gas grill that I brought to Indiana from Texas, should have never brought it. I mean, it was rusted out. It was, it was old. I should have just left it there. But I, there was something in me that said, you know, I'll clean it up and it'll be good. Well, I started to clean it up, and um, it, it wasn't good. Uh, and I was afraid if I really cleaned it up, cleaned all the rust off and all that, that it would have just collapsed. I think the rust is what was holding it together. Anybody got a grill like that? Well, I decided it was time to buy an, another grill. And so I, I, I thought I got a pretty good deal. I, I looked around at, at several different establishments and went in and bought a grill, saw I wasn't really thinking about buying a grill. We had dropped our car off to get an oil change, and um, I paid for the world's most expensive oil change yesterday, $1,200 oil change. I'll, I'll tell you about that some other time. I'm not real happy right now. Um, but in dropping the car off, we went over to Menards, and I found this grill, and I was like, wow, this is, this is the best price of anything that I've seen. The only kicker was it came in a box, and I had to put it together. Every other gas grill I've ever bought, uh, it was already put together, and I just pulled my truck up, paid for it, and then loaded that gas grill up, and I was ready to grill. Well, this one I had to, I had to actually put it together. 
So I opened the box up, and, you know, I'm looking at it and everything. I started putting it together. I got the wheels and the little, you know, the, the stand put together. And then I came back the next day on my day off, and I said, I'm putting this grill together. It's going to be finished before Paula and, and Haley come back home. So I got it out there, and <laughs> I don't, I'm telling on myself, I guess, but it took me almost three hours to put together this gas grill. Um, and I still don't know if it's going to work or not. I haven't hooked any gas up to it. I don't know if it's going to you know, work or not. But I stood back there at the end when I got up off that little stool and I finally got straightened up and my back wasn't hurting as bad. I looked and I thought to myself, wow, I did it. I've got, I mean, it looks great. If you come into my house today, you're going to see a great, I don't know if it's going to work or not. But it looks great. And I thought to myself, man, what an accomplishment. I mean, I, I've got the bar set pretty low, right? But I thought to myself, I've accomplished something here. I think, I think we're wired that way. I think God has given us responsibility. And when we're not managing our responsibility well, we don't feel good about ourselves. But when we're doing well, we, we, we can kind of step back and take pride in what we've done, what we have accomplished. Galatians 6 here, God created man. He gave him responsibilities. And when we manage those well, we carry out those responsibilities, man, we feel good. In a community, whether it's a family, a church, a business, a city, a country, whatever, wherever there is a community and folks are taking their responsibilities seriously, you really don't need a lot of rules and regulations, you know? You really don't need a lot of laws. If everybody's doing what they should be doing, pulling their own weight, you don't, you don't need that. When people are acting irresponsibly, that's when you need laws. That's when you need rules. That's when you need a lot of regulations. Because if somebody is not dealing with their own responsibilities, they're not pulling their own load, sooner or later, their lack of irresponsibility, their lack of responsibility, thank you, actually, he's awake now, he's got a phone call at 11.30. Their lack of being responsible sooner or later will become someone else's responsibility. Am I right? So I want us to go back to high school, maybe even earlier for some of you. If I said the name Archimedes, would that mean anything to you? The Archimedes principle? Some of you are like, never heard of that before. Archimedes, some of you are saying, man, that just sounds Greek to me. Well, actually, he was Greek. Archimedes was a, a Greek mathematician, a physicist, uh, an astronomer, a philosopher. He, uh, I think he was born about 285 years before Christ. Uh, he died about uh, in 212 B.C. The guy was brilliant. Um, he explained why rocks sink and why boats float. Archimedes principle. Now, this had been true for years and years, way before he came along, but he was the first person to explain this phenomenon in a formula 
uh, with a mathematical equation. You know, when I was in school, when I was, when I was taking math, I was, I was pretty good at math. And if you gave me an equation, I could work that thing out. But when they put it in a word form, you know what I'm saying? When they, when they gave you a word problem, anybody else have problems with word problems? If, if a train is traveling west at 70 miles an hour, oh, just give me some numbers. And the sun is shining. And it passes a train that's traveling east at 40 miles an hour. When you get to the station, what color is the girl's hair that's standing on the... I, 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 I never could work out word problems. They, they baffled me. Just give me the numbers. Well, Archimedes, he comes up with this mathematical equation. He discovered the relationship between uh, buoyancy and gravity. And according to his principle, the buoyant force is equal to the displaced liquid. Does that make any sense to you? Eh, kind of, maybe a little bit. What he said was that a weight could be supported in a liquid if the weight of the object was counterbalanced by the displacement of the water of the object. So the point of this is that Archimedes did not invent the principle. He didn't invent the principle. He just discovered that which was already true and always had been true. And now people have been using this principle ever since then to create massive um, boats and ships that weigh tons, and they've learned how to make them float. Now, the principle, the principle here that he discovered is not really good or bad. It, it just is. It, it, it's not, the principle itself is not bad, it's not good, it just is. And it can be harnessed for good, or it can be ignored, and you might wind up paying a consequence. So when people go out and build a ship, they don't, they don't get down and pray and say, oh, I hope it floats this time. I hope this time it's going to float. That's not the way people build boats. That's not the way people build ships. They adhere to the principle, and if they adhere to the principle, guess what? The boat floats every time, every single time. So this morning out of Galatians chapter 6, I want us to talk about another principle. It's one that uh, I've talked about before. And it's really, if you think about it, it's the backdrop of everything we do, every single day of our life. It's the backdrop. And the principle is this. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. We talk about taking responsibility for our lives. And you need to understand that the reason irresponsibility eventually becomes someone else's responsibility and the reason that irresponsibility will catch up to you one day is because of this principle. 
It's just like Archimedes' principle. The principle isn't good or bad. It just is. And like, like Archimedes' principle, you can leverage it for good things or you can ignore it. And you can pay the consequences. It just is. And it is every single time. I started off by saying that that sounds sort of threatening. Do not be deceived. You cannot mock God. But it's just a principle that he's throwing out. And it works every time. God is not, you know, lurking behind uh, every cloud trying to punish you trying to catch you doing something wrong. And he's also not up there just kind of think about ways he can bless you. He's put a principle into our world. And it'll be true every time. You can use it and find blessing, or you can use it and wind up paying a price. So Galatians chapter 6, let's get a little bit of context here. Galatians is a letter written, obviously, to the churches in Galatia. It's a Roman province in Asia Minor. Paul wrote this letter somewhere between about 20 years after Jesus left this earth, somewhere between 20, maybe 30 years after Jesus was resurrected and went back home to the Father. Churches have popped up all along uh, the coastline, especially here in Asia Minor, and Paul, who he planted the church there in Galatia, he's writing them to explain some things, uh, some of which are related to, to church growth. There have been people that have kind of come in, some false teachers that are trying to tell them, uh, you got to have Jesus plus something else. Uh, and he's writing to sort of correct some things in their lives. And here he's addressing responsibility, taking responsibility for your own lives. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul's saying that it's easy to deceive yourselves when you're comparing yourselves to someone else. He says each one should test his own actions. You know, as long as you're comparing yourself to those around you, you run the risk of deceiving yourself into being irresponsible. You've got to hold yourself to your own standard. And then he says, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. The pride that Paul is talking about isn't you know, the sinful kind of pride. We see that often in Scripture. Uh, pride is, uh, pride goes before a fall, you know, a haughty spirit before destruction. That's not the kind of pride that he's talking about. It's, it's the kind of pride when you put together a gas grill for the first time in your life and you hope that it works sometime later in the week when you hook it up. That's the kind of pride I think he's talking about. As long as you're comparing yourself to others, uh, you can always make excuses for yourself. But when you compare yourself to yourself, then you can begin to make some progress. So Paul then clearly states, each one should carry his own load. 
This is Paul's way of saying that you should take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility. You have family responsibilities, financial responsibilities, opportunities that uh, are specific to you, no one else. Don't compare your opportunities with somebody else's opportunities. Don't compare yourself with someone else. Because when we do that, uh, we have a tendency to take the eyes off of our own load and, and we can make excuses. Well, I, I didn't have the same opportunities that he had. Or she had more money growing up and, and she had all kind of things that, you know, when we compare ourselves with other people, we'll always find an excuse. Paul says don't do that. Everybody's got to carry their own load. And then in verse 7, Paul bears down pretty hard. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You know, when you were young, maybe you thought you could outsmart your mama, your daddy. You could kind of pull one over on them. Have any of you ever been talking to maybe your mom after you got a little bit older? And maybe you confessed something that you just knew, you know, she was clueless of. Only to find out that she was not so clueless. Has anybody ever done that? I kind of want to get specific, but yet I don't want to this morning. <laughs> I remember having a conversation with my mom. My sister and I were, were talking. And we got into one of these kind of conversations. And it was kind of like, you know, this is way, way after the fact, so you can't get in trouble by it now, right? You know, you're in your early 30s. What's, what's, what's your mom going to do, give you a spanking, you know? So we were having one of those kind of conversations, and uh, some things kind of came up, and I remember sort of confessing a little bit. Uh, you know, Mom, I, I, know, I know that you didn't know this, but... And then my mom looks at me and she says, Oh, I knew. What? Why didn't you say something? Why did why didn't I why did I, I get in trouble for that? Well, I just figured it was a phase you were going through and something that you would, you know, grow out of, and I trusted that you would uh, you'd find your way out. And I'm thinking, man, you had a lot more confidence in me than than you probably should have. Sometimes we think we can we can pull one over, and, and, and sometimes maybe we do. But Paul is saying, you're, you're not going to pull one over on God. You're not going to fool God. God cannot be fooled. He knows. God's not stupid. But it's not in a threatening way. It's not a shaking your finger. It's not calling you out by your middle name. He's just stating a principle. A man will reap what he sows. You can't fool God because a man is going to reap what he sows. Does God forgive sin? <laughs> of course he does. Hallelujah, he does. As a parent, maybe your child messes up. Do you stop loving them? No. No, you, you may discipline them. 
You correct them as they need it. God is the perfect father. He's never deceived. He is never mocked. He knows what's going on. And then Paul gives this amazing principle. People reap what they sow. People reap what they sow. Paul says what we all really know intuitively, right? That life is connected. All of life is connected. Where you are today, listen to me right here. Where you are today is based upon decisions that you made yesterday and last week and 10 years ago. That's why you are where you are today. And where you are going to be tomorrow and next week is predicated on decisions that you make today. Am I right about it? All of life is connected Sometimes we look at our lives and we say, how did I wind up here? Why am I in, into debt up to here? It's because of decisions we made yesterday and last week and 20 years ago. That's why we are where we are. There is a relationship between your current irresponsibility and what you can expect in the days and weeks and months and years to come. But the beauty is, there are also some things that you can count on because of your responsibility in a positive way, in a good way, for next week and months and even years to come. Sometimes I, I've even thought about it, this in my own life, and I've had several occasions through the years being in ministry um, where people just think, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Maybe, maybe they've lived a certain way for the last 10 years, and now they've come to Jesus, and they're really striving. I mean, they're really working hard. They're trying to do well, and they just get so bogged down, and they just think, why is my life not better? I'm, I'm serving God. I love him. Well, it's because you've got a, a track record for the last few years. And just because you come to God doesn't make all of that go away. You see, God forgives us of our sins, right? But God does not take the consequences of those sins away. We can be forgiven, but there may still be some consequences that we have to deal with. And I think God loves us so much that he made this principle that we're talking about very predictable. We don't have to wake up every morning and say, will the boat float today? Will the boat float today? We don't have to do that because we can put all of our weight down. God doesn't operate that way. God's a lot more gracious to us than that. 
through the Bible, through the scriptures, he tells us how the world works. He gave us a formula, if you will. If you sowed irresponsibility for years and years and then you became a Christian, you got your life together, together that's great news. That's awesome news. But it doesn't take away the consequences. Several years ago, Paul and I were at a, a spiritual retreat, and, and a guy, a guest speaker, came and he spoke to us. And he was talking along the, the lines of sowing and reaping. And one of the things that, uh, that he said was, according to this law, this principle, if you will, of sowing and reaping, he says, you reap later than you sow. Now that's kind of a, well, thank you, Captain Obvious, right? You, you don't reap before you sow. You got to sow something in order to have something to reap, right? Mark, am I right? You sow later than you, you reap later than you sow. You got to help me out now. And you also reap greater than you sow. True? You reap later and you reap greater than you sow. Later is why sometimes we give up on doing the right thing. We might do the right thing without, without seeing any fruit for days or for weeks, for months, maybe even years. Reaping later is why sometimes we look at people who are doing wrong and we, we start to envy some of their good fortune. Reaping later is, is why we question our, our own choices. Why am I being so diligent? Why am I trying so hard to follow God when you fill in the blank? Sometimes greater, reaping greater, can be even harder than that. This is sort of the emotional part where sometimes we say, well, that's just not fair. That's just not fair. It's not a one-to-one -one kind of principle. On both the, the positive side of the ledger and the negative side of the ledger, whatever you sow, you're going to reap, and it's going to be bigger than you imagined. You remember the prophet Hosea? He says, you sow the wind, you reap what? The whirlwind. You sow the wind, and you reap the whirlwind. He, he was quoting a, a well-known proverb at the time, and it's exactly the principle we're talking about here. You, sow, you reap later and you reap greater. Israel had sown the sin of idolatry, the wind of idolatry. And they wound up reaping the whirlwind of Assyria. I mean, that was, that was not good. And an Israelite might have said, well, this is what we did, but this is what we're reaping. That's not fair. 
But that's the law. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. You're going to reap later, and you're going to reap greater. When you plant one kernel of corn, you don't reap one kernel of corn. That stalk has several ears, and each ear has several kernels. Am I right? Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. So the principle is there. Israel sowed the wind, and they wound up reaping the whirlwind. It was way bigger, way bigger than they would have ever imagined. God gave us a principle, just like Archimedes' principle. The boat floats every time. He's given us a gift, really. Every time you are responsible or irresponsible, you will reap the benefit or you'll reap the burden, the hassle. What you reap will most likely come later and it's always greater. So what do you do? What do you do with this knowledge? If, if there's any area of your life, we're talking your finances, your marriage, your money, uh, your relationships, your personal, your professional life, uh, any place where you're not want to be, where you are, you're not where you want to be in any of those arenas, chances are that you have sown and you have reaped yourself into that situation. You're there because of decisions, because of choices that you have made. So if you're somewhere in life where you think you shouldn't be, you have to ask yourself, what part of this do I own? What part of this is, is on me? Because we are living in a, in a society where, where everybody's a victim. Everybody wants to you know, throw off their responsibility and blame someone else. It's never about personal actions, things that I've done. It's just things that have happened to me. We can't live that way. God does not want us to live that way. If we're unhappy with our relationship with our kids, then we have to ask ourselves, what, what, what's on me? Am I really present? Am I really there with them? Am I really doing and being the father, the mother that I should be? I think we live in a society, I know we do, where we have, we've tried to take away the, the principle of sowing and reaping. And you know it's got, where it's gotten us? I know a teacher that I want to say maybe a year or two ago, I asked, we, we were at a high school graduation. I said, what percentage of these children that are graduating today, 
What percentage of them do you think would be graduating if they were actually given the grades that they earned? Are, are you following me? If, if the kids actually received the grades that they, they earned by the work that they did in their high school career, what percentage of these kids do you think would or would not be graduating today? The response was probably at least half of these kids would not be graduating if they were given the grades that they actually earned themselves, not just let's, let's give them a grade to, to usher them out so we can get rid of them. At least half, and that was a conservative effort, I think, uh, a conservative estimate on the part of this teacher. The problem is when you remove the principle of sowing and reaping, if there are no consequences for your actions, what's going to happen? What's going to be the, the future next week, next month, next year? When, when, you, when you sow irresponsibility, but yet you don't reap any, any problems because of that. Can you see a problem with that as time goes by? Do your head like this. Let me, let me know you're with me. Do, do you see a problem when you take away that principle? God gave us the principle for a reason. When you have a government, don't get me started, when you have a government that winds up spending way more than they take in, does that sound like a problem in the future to you? There's a law of sowing and reaping. In your personal life, if you make $100, you can spend $100. Probably wouldn't be wise to spend all of it, but, but it's yours to spend, right? But if you make 100 you can't spend 200 Oh, well, I can put it on credit. I'll raise the debt ceiling. Don't get me started on that, guys. We've removed the principle of sowing and reaping. Do you need to make a phone call? Thank you, brother. <laughs> That's our small group thing we got going today. Um, we've removed the law of sowing and reaping, and we're reaping the whirlwind. It's happened in our, in our personal lives. And, and I'm watching the country that I love, that I was born and raised in, imploding. Because people in positions of power have removed this principle. It will catch up. It's catching up to us. And there will be a high price to be paid. You sow the wind you're going to reap the whirlwind. Anyway, the principle of sowing and reaping will bless you or it will catch up with you every single time. And the reason I think God doesn't mess with this rule is because he wants us 
to feel the consequences of our actions. We need to crash and burn if we're not, if we're not doing right. When, when you put your hand on a hot oven, what happens? It burns. So you pull your hand back. But if your hand got burned and burned and burned so many times that you lost all sensitivity, then you could put your hand on that oven and, and, and burn, do some really bad damage because you're not feeling it. You're not feeling it. I think that's why God doesn't mess with this rule. And that's why we, at great harm to ourselves, if we try to remove that rule, we're going to pay a high price. God's not going to remove the rule. Does God love us? Of course he loves us. And that's why he gave us this principle, I think. Does God have compassion on us? Does his heart break when we're suffering? Absolutely it does. Even if we're suffering because of our own actions, we, we, we can kneel before God and say, God, I, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm, I'm suffering. I think God loves us and he comes to us and he says, I know, I know, I don't want you to hurt. But you made some choices. God loves us enough to tell us that, to show us that. And we may have to pay a price for that, but God says, I'll, I'll be with you every step of the way. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll walk with you through even the mess that you made. I'll walk with you through it. But I cannot be mocked. If I allow you to mock me, then the whole thing breaks apart. Boats start sinking, bridges start falling, and our world falls apart. So, are you taking responsibility for your life? Really? Are you taking responsibility for your money? for your marriage, for your relationships, for your morality, for your school, for your, for your schoolwork? If you are not, what do you need to do about that today? What do you need to do? We're gonna, sing, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing a song. If you find yourself in a place this morning where you're not really happy, you don't really want to be there, but you know you're there because of choices you've made, cast your care on him because he loves you. Cast all your burden on him. He cares for you. He's not going to take away all the consequences, but he will love you. He will forgive you. And he will walk with you every step of the way.